Well, you are listening to Understanding Christianity. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Cole. I am the lead pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. I also serve as an adjunct instructor at Colorado Christian University. Thank you for listening to Understanding Christianity. I'm thankful for all of my listeners. You can do us a great favor by going to Apple Podcasts and giving us a positive review and rating, as well as sharing this podcast on your social media. If you do have any questions about this podcast or you just want to send me an email, you can find my contact information on seancole.net. I've been interacting for the past five or six years with traditional Southern Baptists, provisionists, non-Calvinists, whatever they want to call themselves. And I've made the assertion that much of their theology about God's sovereignty and election and predestination and the nature of man and free will comes specifically from Herschel Hobbes. Now, if you don't know much about Herschel Hobbes, he was the major spokesman for Southern Baptist especially in the 60s and 70s. He was the president of the Southern Baptist Convention from 1961 to 1963. He was the one who helped draft the 1963 updated Baptist faith and message. He was a graduate of Southern Seminary, where he learned Calvinism because Southern, during the time that he went to seminary, E.Y. Mullins was the president, and they were still Calvinistic in their theology. But for some reason, Herschel Hobbes, I believe, really disliked Calvinism, Reformed theology. And so in his writings, he swung very far to the Arminian or synergistic side of the aisle. And so many of you may not have access to some of the resources that I do. And so one of the key teachings or one of the key ways that I want to illustrate in this podcast, some of the writings of Herschel Hobbes is his, his Ephesians commentary. Now, his Ephesians commentary is a lay commentary. It was written primarily for Sunday school teachers and for lay people to understand the message of the book of Ephesians. In the, the book is called New Men in Christ, and it came out in 1974. So in the 70s, late 60s, all the way up until the 80s, until I think Reformed theology kind of made a resurgence in Southern Baptist Convention life, Hobbes was the main voice. And so many lay people, many pastors got their theology from Herschel Hobbes. He was the popular theologian of Southern Baptists. And so what I want to do in this podcast, probably going to be a brief podcast, is just to read to you some excerpts from chapter 1 on God's sovereignty and man's free will. And this is his exposition or explanation of Ephesians chapter 1, which we know is that famous passage of Scripture where Paul addresses us being chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, talks about being predestined for adoption as sons. It talks about God working out all things according to the counsel of his will. So the whole doctrine of predestination, God's sovereignty. And so you see a lot of Herschel Hobbes' bias or just flat assertions denouncing Calvinism in this commentary. So I thought it'd be fun just to read to you some of his statements because they're, they're, he makes a lot of assertions without really backing them up. So here's the way he opens his 
commentary on chapter 1 of Ephesians chapter 1. How can God be sovereign and yet man be free? God's sovereignty means that he can act within his own will apart from the counsel or permission of others and in keeping with his nature to accomplish his benevolent will and purpose. Now we would agree with that. God is sovereign. He can act without the permission of no one. He, he does not have any outside force constraining him on what he should do. But notice what he goes on to say, and I think this is his primary assertion, and I think this is the assertion that provisionists will make. He says this, Yet, by his own choice, he created man as a person with the right of choice. Otherwise, man would be a puppet on a string, with no choice as to his eternal destiny or his conduct in time. If this be true, then ultimately God is responsible for man's sin which is, of course, unthinkable. It is in the sense, therefore, that an all-powerful sovereign God has in the matters of the Spirit voluntarily limited himself to the response of the free will of man. This is not an evidence of God's weakness, but of his power. God is sovereign, but yet God has limited, voluntarily limited, that's the wording he uses here, God has voluntarily limited himself, his sovereignty, to the response of the free will of men. In other words, God is sovereign, but he's limited that sovereignty to be contingent upon what choices humans will make. So he has elevated libertarian free will as an overriding factor that can thwart God's sovereign purposes because God has voluntarily chosen to limit his sovereignty. Otherwise, humans would be a puppet. He just makes that assertion, humans would be a puppet on a string. And so we've got that analogy of, of a puppet or a robot or automaton, he, he does not give any backing to that assertion. He just basically states it that, you know, if God is sovereign and humans don't have free choice in the libertarian sense of the word, then ultimately we're puppets on a string. Okay, here's, let, let, I'm just going to go on and read you a couple more excerpts. This is from page 15. He's talking about chosen God has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. In verse 4, he says, Some, placing their entire emphasis upon God's sovereignty, see it as God's choosing certain individuals for salvation to the exclusion of all others. Such a position ignores the free will of man. Now, obviously, he doesn't label that as Calvinistic. He just says, some place the entire emphasis upon God's sovereignty. So he basically gives the Reformed Calvinistic position, but he, he goes on to say, you know, this position ignores the free will of man. Everything comes back to free will of man, libertarian free will. This passage can't mean this because it would violate the free will of man. God can't be this because it would violate man's free will. God has to voluntarily limit himself because he has to place a high value on human free will. So basically he says this, election means that God has taken the initiative in his purpose to save men. Apart from that initiative, no man can be saved. But initiative does not mean fatalism. Rather, it is an expression of God's love and grace. Therefore, Election should not be viewed as God's purpose to save as few, but as many as possible. It's interesting. God's election means that he's taken the initiative to save men. It's more an initiative 
based upon how humans will respond to that initiative. In other words, it's not really God choosing or God electing. It's God taking the initiative to provide salvation if a man avails himself to using his or her free will to get saved. So, in other words, the reason why it's called provisionism is because God provided an opportunity. God provided a plan. God took the initiative. And therefore, because God provided, because God took the initiative, because God set up a plan, ultimately the way that you get in on that plan is by your response, your libertarian free response. He says this, An all-wise God knows beforehand who will believe or refuse to do so. However, foreknowledge of an event does not necessarily mean that one is responsible for it. God has done all that even he can do to save men, but he does not coerce men against their wills. He is seeking men who stand in awesome freedom where they may accept or reject the salvation which God alone can offer. Okay, he's talking about foreknowledge. God merely knows what humans will do because obviously Herschel Hobbes is not going to deny omniscience or foreknowledge. But he doesn't say that that's actually choosing or foreloving or foreordaining who will be saved. It just merely means that God knows what a person's going to do. And then he makes this very interesting statement. God has done all that even he can do to save men. God has done all he can do. He basically set up a plan. He made a provision. He limited his sovereignty. He's done all he can do. But ultimately, it's up to the human to make that contingent because God's not going to coerce men against their wills. Now, obviously, no Calvinist believes that God coerces people against their wills. We believe the will is in bondage. We believe the will is in slavery. We believe that humans are born fallen in Adam. They're born totally unable to come to faith in Christ because they're spiritually dead in their trespasses. They're hostile to God. They're enslaved to sin. And so God doesn't coerce someone to come to faith in Christ. God resurrects a lost person to new life. The Holy Spirit causes an unregenerate person to be born again. The will is not coerced. The will is gloriously transformed. It's changed. A person goes from being dead in sin to being made alive in Christ, and thus they come willing to Jesus because their will has been changed from being dead to being alive. He also talks about election being more of a purpose, not necessarily the choice or God making a choice of certain people. He said, it was in the eternal purpose of God. This suggests a method of election rather than the persons involved. It was a choice based upon God's grace, not upon man's merit. It was an act of his sovereign will, but this does not rule out man's free will. God provided, but man is still free to accept or reject. Otherwise, God's sovereignty would have violated man's freedom. This can mean only that in his sovereign choice, God by grace offered man a means of salvation with man left in his free reaction to it. So it was a method of election. 
It was a provision that God made. It was a potentiality, meaning that God made it possible, God made it available, but you still have to use your free will to accept or reject it. It's a grace that is offered. A grace that is offered. Now, my question is, does Ephesians chapter 1 teach that God offered grace? Or that God set up a plan? Or does it or, or do the verbs that are used there clearly state that God did something? God chose us. God predestined us. God chose specific people. God predestined p- specific people. It wasn't that God merely offered people a chance to be saved if they use their free will, or God set up a method of election by grace by limiting his sovereignty. Ultimately, everything in Herschel Hobbes' theology comes back to man's free will. God can never violate man's free will. God has to limit his sovereignty. God has to merely offer grace. God has to set up a method of election. But God can't unilaterally predestine. God can't unilaterally choose. He also says this, talking about predestination. Whatever Paul meant by predestination, it was done in the sphere of God's love. How may may we understand having predestinated? Well, some read it as an election that some souls are predestined for heaven and others for hell. We have pointed out this position magnifies God's sovereignty to the neglect of man's free will. Okay, there we go again. A denial of the reformed position. He also says this, If election tells how God blessed us, then foreordination tells how God elected us. He did it in love, not a matter of capricious choice of a few, but an expression of love for all. Now that that does not make any sense. In love, God predestined us. He's saying that the predestination is not capricious, it's in love. Well, we as Calvinists don't think it's capricious. We think there's a purpose why God did it. God doesn't have to share with us what his purpose is, but we know he did it for the purpose of his good pleasure. It was God's good pleasure to save certain individuals, to choose them, to predestine them before the foundation of the world to be saved. It's not capricious in our minds, or in a, in a, in a non-reformed traditional Southern Baptist provisionist, they may view it as arbitrary or capricious. And then he says here that God's choice is not of a few as possible, but an expression of love for all. No Calvinist believes that God chose as few as, few as possible. That's usually a straw man given against Calvinists, that you guys believe that God only chose a small amount. There's this small number. There's this select few. What do we know about Revelation chapter 7? It says that it's a number that no man can count. And so we don't believe that God chose a select small number. We don't know the number. We know it's a fixed number because God chose before the foundation of the world. It's not like God's still choosing or God's still providing and God's still reacting. God is contingent upon what humans are going to do. Like the confessions tell us, it's a foreordained fixed number of the elect. But he likes to use the word capricious. And then he says, unfortunately, the word predestinated has come to mean for many an arbitrary decision on God's part where the future is in a fixed mold with no regard for man's free will. It's an arbitrary decision. God just did it arbitrarily. God did it capriciously. Again, 
It's not capricious. It's not arbitrary. It may appear to the human mind because God does not give us his reason for why he chooses some and passes over others. We know it's not because there's any merit within anybody that would move God to choose anybody. We know that Jacob and Esau were chosen before they were born or had done anything good or bad. And so we know the reason why God does not choose some. It's not because of merit. It's not because of foreseen faith. It's not because God sees or views anything positive within that person that would make God or, or, or move God to choose or elect that person. It's simply by the sheer grace of his good pleasure. It's not arbitrary. Again, notice what he says. There would be no regard for man's free will. If, if God had a sovereign decree, if God chose a fixed number, if God predestined certain individuals and others he passed over, that would obviously violate man's free will. And this is the way he defines predestination. He basically says, God in his sovereignty decreed, quote, in Christ, unquote, but each person in his free will decides whether or not he will be in Christ. Thus, God's sovereignty and man's free will are harmonized. Basically, what he's saying is, is that God's election is basically to set up the plan. He sometimes equates it to a fence, that God set up this fence, this boundary. And all who are in the boundary, all who are in Christ, are those that are part of the plan. Those are a part of God's electing love. And notice what he says here. You have to use your free will to decide whether or not you're going to be in Christ. So God elected a plan. God set up a provision. God offered grace. God took the initiative to set this whole thing up, but ultimately, you and your free will decide ultimately if you're going to get in on that plan. So again, there, there's no unilateral activity of God in predestining, in choosing, in showing sovereign grace. These are all things that are provided, they're offered, they're contingent upon human response. Because again, Free will is the ultimate reason. Now, on page 25, you get to hear his key theology related to how you become in Christ. And this is where Leighton Flowers and other uh, traditional Southern Baptist provisionists get their theology in Ephesians chapter 1. They go down to verse 13 and they read, you know, having been marked in Christ, having been found in him, that's how you get in on the election. It wasn't God's choice. It wasn't God's election of certain individuals to be saved. It was a plan. It was, a, it was an offer. It was a fence. It was this boundary marker, and you choose to get in on it. So here's what he says, talking about verse 13, when you heard the gospel. He's talking about the Gentiles also had heard the gospel of your salvation. It was good news indeed that they were the object of God's grace and love along with the Jews. And they had believed in Christ. Not all Gentiles, as not all Jews, did so. Here then, and this is his key statement, is the free will of man as over against God's sovereignty. God in his sovereignty marked out beforehand the boundaries of, quote, in Christ, unquote and elected that all who are in Christ shall be saved. Men in their free will choose to be in Christ by faith or to be outside of Christ in refusal 
to believe in him as Savior. That same dual principle applies today. So free will is greater than God's sovereignty. God is sovereign. He set up a plan. He took the initiative. He, he made up this offer that if you want it to be in Christ, you can choose to be in Christ. It's ultimately up to your free will. All that God merely did was make it potential. There was no actual, actual predestination. There was no actual or effectual choosing. It was potential, contingent. And what was the potential? You using your free will to get in on it. So ultimately, all these verbs really make no sense in Paul's theology. God doesn't choose individuals. God doesn't predestine individuals. God doesn't act in sovereign grace. God merely provides. God gives a possibility. God takes an initiative to set up a plan. God sets up that whoever's in Christ can choose to be in Christ. But ultimately, in Herschel Hobbes' theology, everything is contingent upon human free will. And so I thought it was helpful just to read how much he elevates free will. Now, this is in a book that was used by Sunday school teachers and pastors and lay people all throughout the 70s. Obviously, this came out in 1974. So you can see how a lot of people that are Southern Baptist have heard this type of free will theology from someone that was highly, highly respected. I mean, it was almost like in the old days when I was growing up in the 80s, they had those commercials. When E.F. Hutton speaks, everybody listens. Some of you may not be old enough to remember those commercials. It was, it was the same way in Southern Baptist life. When Herschel Hobbes speaks, everybody listens. He's the go-to guy. He must be right. He's Herschel Hobbes. And so... Ultimately, I think he's the granddaddy of provisionist theology. I think they've gotten their theology from him. And he had a high, high view of libertarian free will. Now, he didn't go so far as to say God's not sovereign. He just redefined sovereignty. In their eyes, sovereignty means God has the right to do what he wants. No one can tell God what to do, but God limits his sovereignty to allow for human free will to be the ultimate. Because ultimately, God can't get the the last word. God can't make unilateral decisions. God can't act in sovereign grace. He has to merely set up a system. He has to set up a plan. He has to make an offer. It's interesting, the wording he used there, he says, grace is offered. And I often push back on people and say grace is offered. Is grace something that God offers? Or is grace something that God chooses to dispense in his sovereignty by his prerogative? See, that's a, that's a key distinction between Reformed theology and provisionist Southern Baptist synergistic theology. In our understanding, God doesn't merely offer grace. You can take it or leave it. God offers grace. It's something that's given as an offer. You can choose to accept the offer or not. We believe that when God actually shows grace, it's effectual. It does something. It actually brings about salvation. And so in our view, grace is effectual. Grace is sovereign. 
grace is unilateral. Grace is something that God's not obligated to give, but when God gives grace, when God shows grace, it actually accomplishes what God intended it for it to accomplish, and that is bring the elect to salvation. In provisionist theology, grace is not effectual. Grace is not unilateral. Grace is merely offered, and you and your libertarian free will can choose to accept the grace or reject the grace. So in this short podcast, I just wanted to share with you some of the writings of Herschel Hobbes. If you're not familiar with him, um, you need to be familiar with him because he's the one who uh, basically the the traditional Southern Baptist, non-Calvinist provisionists are getting the majority of their theology from his writings. And he was a great figure in the mid 20th century in regard to Southern Baptist life. Well, hopefully this has been helpful. Uh, if you have any questions on this, you can listen to some other podcasts I've had uh, that talk about Karl Barth's influence on Herschel Hobbes and, and, and how our theology um, has changed in Southern Baptist life from its founding in 1845 with its Calvinistic roots to, to where it is uh, today. So thank you for listening to Understanding Christianity. May the Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine upon you. And until next time, will we all keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Jesus.